Welcome to the Express News College Pick'em Show, brought to you by Affordable Debt Consolidation. I'm here today with Greg Luca and Nick Boyle. We're going to talk some football. we got a lot of things to go through, a lot of bowl games, transfer portals. And the first thing and most important to the city of San Antonio, Frank Harris is coming back for his 17th year at UTSA. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's actually just his seventh year, and if you... Ask him about it. He'll outline for you that he's actually only played for this will be his fourth season because he had the last three years and then he had the year before that that was cut to four games before he had his shoulder surgery. So starting in 2017 at UTSA and two ACL tears for him to come through all that and to have the success he's having now has been incredible. He was named Conference USA MVP just a little bit before that announcement came out. And it was a interesting sort of deal they set up with the PM group uh, to have this at their headquarters there and you know, it's not an official university event at that point. It's just something that Frank Harris is doing independently with these people who are giving him a, an NIL deal that apparently is in the six-figure range. He didn't want to talk about it, but Bob Wills, who's the CEO of the PM Group, told me that it's six figures. So interesting that they found a way to find that money to keep him around for another year, and it makes a big difference as they jump to the new conference. Yeah, the NIL money is certainly an interesting dynamic with that. I know uh, April and Sierra also did a, a groundswell to get something going, I guess. They, yeah, they, that, they tweeted yesterday, I think they raised almost $11,000 to try to bridge the gap until that 210, what's it called? It, the, that is City Fans 210, I believe. I'm 95% sure on that because then there's 210 Inspired and there's Runners Rising and there's I think one or two others that are maybe not full-scale collectives but are in the process of finding a way to help contribute to the program. So they have this coming from a lot of different places and maybe the numbers aren't as big as a lot of other places but especially this PM Group deal, they said they have aspirations for City Fans 210 to raise $5 million next year which is an insane amount. I don't know how they're able to mobilize that or if they can get it done but Certainly, that would make a huge difference for being able to retain everybody they could want and potentially bring in some top talent. Obviously, it's not exactly a pay-for-play situation, but when you know that that base of money is there, you're more likely to go to that school. And I think it's what we've seen ever since NIL started, and UTSA just needs to be in the mix in that regard. So it makes a big difference. Yeah, I think that's about pr- that's pretty much about the same money that Texas has for the race for its punters, right? Yeah, yeah. pretty pretty much. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Texas wishes they could organize something similar to that to get Bijan to come back for another year. Um, I don't think that's that's going to happen, obviously. But I think it is kind of cool the Frank Harris situation. Um, you know, like obviously he's kind of embedded within within this city, and he obviously could have transferred out. He could have maybe played for a bigger program and maybe tried to make a little bit more of a name for himself in the NFL draft board. But obviously, he's really comfortable here. You know, the program loves him. And having that NIL collective, you know, kind of getting all those people backing him, um, obviously, was a big reason for him to stay, which I think is is really cool, you know, for a place like UTSA to, to keep a guy that he could have transferred to a Power 5 program. I mean, I think Texas might have even taken a look at him. I know you have, Mar- you have Arch coming in, but they don't, they don't have any veterans on that program. So that could have been something interesting to see if they would have looked into that and I know people were talking about maybe Hudson Card going to Will uh, with Will Stein out to out west now and stuff like that too. And there's going to be NIL deals for him. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting landscape. I think I just saw a recruit the other day. He was he narrowed it down to like three schools, and he said whichever fans buy the most of his NFT cards, he'll go to that program now. So he's essentially selling wow. his sell, wow. selling his recruiting for NFT for NFT. Yeah, which so I don't know how that's going to go, but um, it's it's a pretty interesting uh, scenario. And I wonder if more guys will try to do that. And to, to Nick's point, I think there was a, somebody reported, I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was. I could give them credit properly, but somebody said there was a seven figure deal 
on the table for Frank to come transfer and play for a Power 5 school somewhere. And I think it comes back to he's preached this as long as he's been here, but just his love for the city. I mean, he's got the area code tattooed down the back of his calf, and he's got the skyline under his knee there. So he's always been San Antonio through and through, playing at Clemens and now advancing as far as he has with the UTSA and lifting the program as much as he has. So it would have been pretty jarring to see him play for a different college. And I think a lot of his success is based on how well he understands the system here and how familiar he is with the coaching staff, the playbook, his teammates, all the things that go into making that a success. So this seemed like the best spot for him to sort of build his profile towards a professional career. I don't think he's an NFL quarterback, but could he find a home in the CFL or the XFL or the USFL or whatever that looks like? Yeah, maybe. I think so. Yeah, the XFL is going to need some bodies. That's coming up fast on us right. here for the San Antonio Brahmas. Yeah. <laughs> if you smell what yeah, they're cooking. Now, if you guys are into that. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to rip on their jerseys. It was very plain. I thought it would be a lot more bold with, you know, I like the all the Ross background. You like the color combination? Well, yeah, well, they had to do it because of Heinz Ward. Yeah. So they True. have to do black and yellow. Yeah. It's all like branding. I get it. That, that makes and sense. they didn't have a team, black. they didn't have a black and yellow team in the XFL. You know, a lot of other, I mean, there's only eight teams, but a lot of the other combinations <laughs> are kind of spoken for. So that's, you know, open real estate and it makes sense with your coach. So go for it. So it's, it's, a, it's a clean fit. I'll yeah, say that. You right. know, it's, it's, it's easy. It's not a lot of too risk crazy free. stuff going on. Very risk free. Yeah. Which is kind of a little bit. You know, upsetting for the XFL. I was going to say, that's the total like, opposite of what you're thinking but, about. you know, it was like, okay, nice muted color combination mm-hmm. for Heinz Ward's XFL team. Right. You know who won't play in the XFL? Bajon Robinson. Wow, good uh, transition. No, he I know, not. right? Although that would be kind of cool, though. He'd run for like 2,000 yards a game. <laughs> At um, least. <laughs> Doak Walker or award winner now. Yeah, so yeah, the fourth Longhorn to win it, joining uh, Ricky Williams, who did it twice, Cedric Benson, Deontay Foreman. Deontay Foreman actually incredibly did that on like a 5-1 team. He ran for, he was the entire offense back in 2016. Um, but, you know, Bijan, I think a lot of people thought that he should have been a Heisman finalist. I think, you know, Texas going 8-4 and four and, you know, losing that game down the line to TCU kind of hurt his chances there and obviously it's just such a quarterback driven award now even though we've had some guys outside of the quarterback you know win the past few years this year there wasn't really a guy a guy outside of that that kind of jumped above you know Caleb Williams and Max Duggan and um, you know I'm kind of surprised that Setson Bennett kind of wiggled his way in there but you know like I said it is what it is it's a quarterback driven league could have been um, Lindsey Scott. That guy's almost as old as Frank Harris. Stetson Bennett has been there quite a while. But it's like, yeah. They should I'm, have invited Lindsey Scott from, from good old Incarnate Word. <laughs> all, all FCS records, 62 touchdowns he's had this season. I think he deserves it. Jeez, I like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, Bijan was very deserving of being a finalist in New York. Didn't get the invite, but he did get, you know, honored as the nation's premier running back, and he had an incredible season. Now everybody's kind of waiting to see, you know, what he's going to do. Is he going to declare for the NFL draft? Because he can do that as a junior. He's draft eligible. I actually got a chance to speak with him very briefly yesterday. He was taken in the... um, the Texas volleyball game where they were playing Marquette and he was there with a contingent of Texas football players. They were there with Chris Del Conte watching the game. He didn't tip his hat one way or the other, but I think everybody's, you know, at this point pretty certain that Bijan's going to declare for the NFL draft. It's just a matter of if he's, is he going to play in the Alamo Bowl? And I, th- I think if he ends up playing in the Alamo Bowl, it might be maybe for a series or two um, just to kind of get out there and play one last game with the team because that's kind of the guy. Just a tip of the hat. Just a tip of the hat because that's the kind of guy Bijan is. Uh, but I could also see him totally sitting out. I mean, he was at the Star the other day visiting with the Cowboys. So I think I think the writing's kind of on the wall that he's he's out of here. And same with Roshan Johnson. Well, he is the top-rated running back, I think, on almost every single board yeah, out there. So. I mean, he's looking like a first-round pick, and you're that's going to fetch you an eight-figure contract. So, I mean, as much as NIL has, has helped other guys stay, I mean, Bijan can go and keep all of his NIL deals pretty much and go and get your eight-figure payday in the NFL. Running back specifically, you have to cash in when you can. That's not the longest shelf it, life. Yeah. Exactly. Like, most of them are not playing as long as Frank Harris has played in college. <laughs> like, they're right. getting, like, three to four years a lot of 
of them. Um, so you want to get there and maximize your profits. And yeah. I, I guess that's a three down back. That's so. one reason we lost uh, UTSA lost uh, sincere McCormick last year too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, I think he, that's he, he wanted the, to get out there. He was, yeah. yeah, taking a heavy workload here, and I think when you feel like you have the opportunity to make the jump to the next level, it's always what can you prove to like what is Bijan going to prove coming back for another year? I think right. everybody already knows what they're getting and that it's the top of the line. Yeah, there's there's nothing to prove for Bijan Robinson. No, there's nothing to prove, and you don't know you know how good this, this team may or may not be next year. And I just think you know he's he's ready, and people are telling him if you're a running back in this the, the NFL in 2022 and you're a first round pick, I I think you got to go regardless. All right, but. So probably not playing in the Alamo Bowl. They did draw Washington. What do you kind of think of that matchup? Uh, I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be explosive. You know, there's obviously a link there because that was Steve Sarkeesian's first coaching job. Washington hired him after he had a really good run at USC, you know, won some national, won a national title, you know, Coach Matt Schleinert, Carson Palmer. Um, So he was there, and then he jumped back after 2013 to take over the USC job. Um, So, you know, there's a little bit of a connection there. Um, Texas's defensive coordinator, Pete Kwiatkowski, was also UW's uh, defensive coordinator from 2014 to 2020 there's a lot of links there but yeah this UW team I mean they've been one of the biggest turnarounds um, in the country this year you know they go win 10 games under the new uh, first year coach Kalen DeBoer who had I mean he's I think his habit here somewhere he's 89 and 11 as a head coach and that's going back to his time at Sioux Falls where they won three NIA titles and at Fresno State where he had a couple good years before taking this job at UW Um, you know they're averaging like 520 yards a game over 40 points a game Texas also has a very explosive offense although it's more ground oriented whereas UW led the nation in passing yards you have Michael Panix you have three really good wide receivers so I think it's going to be an explosive game I don't expect there to much be much defense on either side especially because you're probably going to be looking at opt-outs defensively for Texas too you have a lot of guys who are preparing for the NFL draft especially up front Keandre Coburn Moro Jomo Ovio Gofu Marvin Overshawn. I mean, that's a lot of your frontline guys. Um, so I think it could be a lot of younger guys getting a lot of run for Texas on the defensive side. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this is kind of like Sark's first game in the uh, Alamo Bowl where it was him versus uh, Robert Griffin III and Baylor put up 67 points. I think they won 67 to 58, and it was just an insane game. I could see something kind of like that unfolding just because I think it's going to be a lot of fireworks. Wow, oh, name I haven't heard in a while. Robert Griffin the third. G three covered his Heisman Trophy ceremony. Yeah, he's been popping around now. He was he's covered a couple games in Austin, um, so it's kind of interesting to see him. Like, but he's he's actually really great at his, his job. He's kind of one you know of the enjoyable he was, ones. He was in one of my stories this year, or multiple, because he's been on Twitter hyping up Lindsey Scott for Heisman. So he's a big Incarnate Word fan. Nice. There you go. There you go. Well, he likes the weird. He likes the, he likes the sixty-two touchdowns. That's <laughs> a lot of people do like sixty-two touchdowns. And that and that ridiculous pass that uh, Lindsey Scott threw last week. Yeah, number two in the top in our top ten. 10. Top ten play. Modish should have been number. What number? Do you know what I number? I No, I just saw the little it wasn't Twitter as clip. Good. I don't think. But it couldn't. Whatever been. number one well was. No. Oh. Okay. Couldn't yeah, have been. Yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty crazy play. All right, but no, no smooth transition here. We got. We got to talk about the Cure Bowl. We got to talk about Troy. What's going on with that bowl? Obviously, we, it's one of the first bowls out of the gate. Why did they go to Orlando? They had been going to the Frisco Bowl 18 years in a row, almost <laughs> as long as Frank Harris has been here. It right. seemed like they were, they were being shipped up to Frisco. You know what I really enjoyed about this bowl selection was that I didn't have to do any extra work because everybody was just kind of happy with it. And like the last year, it was why is this team going to Frisco after the kind of year that they had? And then 2020 was such a mess where they, they went to one game and then that team couldn't play and they had to go to a different game and it was a whole ordeal. And this one was very straightforward. It was UTSA understands, I think, Lisa Campos, the AD and Jeff Trailer coach are talking to the players and they're getting a sense of when you figure out what's going to happen in the postseason, you need a game that the players are going to be engaged with because otherwise you get 
opt-outs or you get guys who aren't that committed to academics because they don't really care if they're eligible to play in that game or whatever the case may be. A lot of the issues that they ran into last season where it was a combination of guys who were just kind of done and guys who were academically ineligible and guys who were injured and they had a flu bug and they had COVID and last year they were down some like 20 something guys in that game and it made a big difference in the Frisco Bowl against San Diego State. And so now this year, it's a matchup of two conference champions, which is, I believe, the only one that's on the bowl calendar to begin with, unless it ends up being that case in the national championship game. And Troy's a pretty formidable team. They play a pretty strong defense, and they they can pass the ball pretty well, and I think it'll be a great matchup. I, I imagine it'll be pretty high scoring. That's sort of my just guess based on the fact that I think UTSA can move the ball against most people and can't stop most people. So a lot of their games tend to be pretty high scoring, and I think this will be no different despite how strong Troy's been. And so... It's a pretty good it's a it's a good matchup and an exciting game and it's interesting that it falls as one of the first games of the bowl calendar. I don't know what that dynamic is going to do for either side. I'm sure everybody's, you know, kind of banged up at the end of a full season and both played conference championship games on top of that. So, I imagine that there's going to be some guys from both sides who are probably still feeling it a little bit and might not be all the way recovered and we'll just see who gets most people to the game and who really wants to win and UTSA's 0-3 all-time in bowls and they always talk about, you know, how big it would be to get the first bowl win in program history. But then you see like last year where maybe it's not that much of a priority. Maybe it's kind of half celebration of the year that you had and half looking ahead to next year and winning that game isn't as important. So it just depends the mindset that I think both teams come in with. You never really know in these kind of bowl season games. Yeah, and it it also helps UTSA go out because it's before National Sign Day on the 21st, which both teams have coming up. And as sports waters, we all dread it's a long day. We have to wake up at like the crack of dawn, which is not our forte. No. <laughs> what, are, what, what are some of the things that Texas or UTSA are kind of looking at for signing day that well, could, I think could the help big, them? The big thing for UTSA already is that Frank Harris is coming back. That helps with recruiting to play with him, and it helps to not have to replace him. So whether they were going to be looking to the transfer portal for a quarterback, which is probably why they wanted his announcement as soon as they could that week. It came only two days after the portal opened, maybe even the next day. I don't remember. And uh, I think that makes a huge difference for them to have him back and in place. And Obviously, the more that they win and the more that they can hang these banners for conference championships, the farther that goes in recruiting. And it all builds on the already really strong connections that Jeff Trailer has to the Texas high school scene. So they're not you don't expect them to spend too much time looking outside of the state, but do anticipate that they're going to leave some spots open for transfers because they've been able to bring in some impact guys, whether it was during the early period or just having those spots available for the next cycle in the spring or over the summer or whenever they feel like they have a chance to slide somebody in. So it'll be interesting to see exactly who they land and if that profile rises from one year to the next as the success continues. But I don't have a great grasp on any big names that they might be targeting or anything like that, but it does feel like it's all trending positively in that in that sense. Texas has a few big names though. Yeah, in, don't they, they? they have a few. Some guy. They have uh, the biggest name, I would say, and, and Arch Manning, who is, who is still he's still committed. Who um, you know he shut his recruiting down. I think a lot of people thought maybe just because they're so used to guys taking it down to the wire, especially if they're a big name, and he's obviously the biggest right now, the number one player in the nation. But you know he committed to Texas months ago, and he he hasn't backed off of it. Um, he's a he's known as a very personal guy, so he really hasn't been given out a lot of interviews. It's more so people talking to his coaches and the people around him. But yeah, he's dead set on. Texas. Texas, and he's kind of been like the Pied Piper for this program right now. Texas uh, 24-7 Sports has them as the number four recruiting class in the nation, and that's, you know, not only do they have Arch Manning, they have the number one running back in Cedric Baxter. 
number five uh, receiver and Jonte Cook out of DeSoto, um, and they're going to resupply a lot of the defensive guys that they're losing. Um, it's just a very good top-to-bottom class, and they're also not going to deal with as much attrition as they did last season. I think Sark ended up bringing in 38 new players because obviously when you have a new coach come in, you have a lot more guys opting out. They had a lot of seniors leaving, um, and it's very interesting now because you're, you're really fi- – playing with numbers a lot because this extra COVID year means guys are staying longer and longer. So you're not necessarily resupplying in the same way that you would every offseason. So I think that's something that is going to be interesting for Texas this year and maybe being a little more selective with some of the guys that they take on. And they weren't really that aggressive in the transfer portal last year. So I would expect them to look into that too, especially for the offensive line, because they have a lot of really good, talented young offensive linemen, but they don't have a lot of you know, older guys, veterans, maybe that you could rely on backups. So I would look for them to maybe try to stock up their offensive line just to kind of bolster their depth there. But they have a lot of top end options, playmakers, guys with, you know, quote unquote, SEC speed, SEC playmaking ability. You know, Arch is going to come in and he's going to challenge Quinn Ewers for the starting job. And also, I mean, Malik Murphy, who's a freshman that signed last year, I would expect to see him play in the Alamo Bowl. Sark's had a lot of high praise for him. He hasn't played this year because he was coming off of a broken ankle that he suffered last year in the championship game. But he's a really talented guy, four-star talent. So I think you could see, honestly, a three-quarterback battle in the offseason between you know Arch, Ewers, and Malik. And depending on, you know, Hudson Card's gone, obviously. So you're going to have three guys. Ewers is the only one with the college experience. So I could see them maybe trying to look to bring in an experienced guy just, just to push the veterans. All right, when you end up with those kind of quarterbacks, you end up with a situation like you did with Ewers and Hudson Card, which brings us to the transfer portal. We're in what year two of this thing where it's just been crazy. And what, how, is that, how have you kind of seen that impact the programs and their philosophies and everything that's gone on with that? Because it seems – Getting, it's getting wild out there with the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And I know, you know, the NIL rise of those collectives and stuff has made that even more interesting now because you're you're pretty much having people that are outside of the programs. You know, they're obviously linked with them, but they're coming in and, you know, offering programs, like you said, to Frank Harris. Guys are coming in and offering them, you know, six-figure deals or maybe million-dollar deals to come and play for their program. And that's, if you're a college kid, that's a really difficult proposition to turn down. Um, you know, Sark kind of talked about you're you're almost kind of still recruiting guys at the end of the year. You're almost re-recruiting them. So not only are you on the recruiting show, I know Sark was just in Hawaii the other day before he had to fly back in for, for an Alamo Bowl press conference. You know, he's been on the recruiting show, but at the same time, you know, he kind of had to work to make sure Xavier Worthy wanted to come back this year because there were reports that maybe he might consider a transfer. It looks like he's locked it back in coming to Texas. But, you know, a guy like you look at Hudson Card and he sees, you know, kind of what the future is going to look like. Hey, there's Quinn Ewers. Hey, there's freshman Arch Manning coming in. I didn't get to start and play much this year. So it's probably in my best interest to look elsewhere and find another program where I can be the guy or at least have a chance to be the guy. Whereas, you know, if he stayed here, um, it, it wouldn't really be that chance. Although I think Hudson probably should have played a little more this year than he did. But I think you, I think at quarterback, it's probably the biggest issue because you just aren't going to have three to four talented or, you know, guys, scholarship quarterbacks that you can rely on every year. Um, so that's going to be the interesting thing moving forward. You know, how many skill players are going to be able to keep on? How, mu- how are you going to be able to re-recruit guys while you're also recruiting guys to come in and kind of take their position in the future? It's, it's a very interesting dynamic, and I think everybody's still trying to kind of wade through it and figure out the best way to approach it. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Frank Harris thing again because it reminded me that when we talked about that, I mentioned that he had a seven-figure offer from somewhere else. Like it was just a totally normal common right. thing. And that's against the rules that are in place. It's just I think there needs to be better enforcement around a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of talk with coaches, and I think I think Coach Trailer said this specifically on the record. But 
you, you teams bring in these guys out of high school. A lot of them maybe even unknown guys when you're at a level like UTSA, and then they develop them into players that people want, and then they just pluck them away. And it's like just not fair if you really want to get down to it. They almost use it as like a minor league development system, right. and then they're like, "Hey, here's all this money. We'll we'll take you." And you know, UTSA doesn't get to reap the benefits of, of developing. And but training. you're almost getting punished for how yeah. well you develop a guy because right. then he's gone. If you only developed him a little bit, you'd still have him. Right. So <laughs> it's just a very weird situation that you're sort of incentivized to either come up with the money to keep people or, yeah, I don't know, you just have to figure it out because somebody's able to come in and take a guy away from you. So, I mean, obviously the players should have the ability to transfer if they want to and there's no reason they should have to sit out a year and all this stuff that's already kind of been litigated. But something has to have been done, done about the ability to just court guys while they're on another roster. They should have to enter the portal and do things the way that they're actually designed to be done before those offers start to come into play, I think. And the other thing that I think is interesting about this is we – We've seen how the cycle of coaching carousel has changed annually. It started with the move to the early signing day, which was in you know mid or late December. And now we saw that they have this portal window thing where it was Monday. I guess that would have been the 4th or the 5th yeah, or whatever. Last Sunday was the 5th, yeah. Now that's the date. Now you want to have your coach in before that. So it just keeps moving earlier right. and earlier, and it's leading to all of these changes that happen midseason. And we saw it at Incarnate Word in Texas State where – they hired G.J. Kinney right before that date, and he, whether you think this is the right move or not, has committed to finishing out the playoff run with UIW, but clearly they felt the pressure to have him in place before that portal opened because I think you're either going to have guys on your roster who leave. I mean, he went up there. They, they beat Furman on Saturday, and then he went up there on Sunday and got the leading receiver to hop out of the portal and recommit to Texas State. So you need to have your guy in place before that transfer date, and that's – crazy because you're going to start you're going to continue to disrupt other teams seasons as you are able to hire up for higher jobs that could impact UTSA someday if if one of the big boys wants to come get Jeff Trailer and they need it before that date it could be right before the conference championship game it could be something like that and if the money's right I don't know you never know it's just a very interesting way that that calendar keeps sliding I think it has a lot of negative effects yeah, certainly everything has changed much like our picks we were we were <laughs> wow. we were way out in front and Greg Luca was was way out in front too. Now we've kind of moved to the middle of the pack. I still lead the writers, but everybody's well, tight. We learned what we already knew, which is that the public is smarter than us. We're well, just yeah. we're just the guys who who get paid tiny bits of money to try to get it right, and we still don't. So yeah, you got I have a hundred. Well, I don't think any of us are doing poorly. It's just no, we're, we're we're just like in the middle. Like there's no bat. There's the. Yeah, from 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 myself at a hundred, Jeff Perkins at a hundred, then Fingers ninety nine. You're ninety nine. Hinojosa is 98 and Moyle is 98 and then good old Jeff McDonald is 97. People who need to pick it up as affordable debt consolidation are our sponsors. I need <laughs> only, to do better than 93. 93. That's on them. They need to step it up. We, <laughs> well, we appreciate their we, sponsorship. We appreciate but they, them regardless. But they do need to step it up at the same time. I think your picks have been great, just <laughs> so you guys know. So that means <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> so that means that at least 72 members of the public have, have done better than all of our writers and editors and sponsors. So... Good job, public. You guys are killing it. <laughs> and, if, and the other thing about that is that you may be thinking, it's the end of the season. Why would I sign up for this? Well, there's still weekly prizes. So it's right. never too late for you to jump in out there and, and just add to the list of people who pick better than us. That's, on a that's right. You think it's at the end of the season, but we do have bowl picks coming up and we'll pick all the way to the Super Bowl. So we yeah, keep on going. We still, we still got a chance. And there's a chance for all of us to catch up back to the public, well, hopefully, yeah. when, the, when it gets tough. And... I wouldn't bet on that, but <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. We got a chance. That's all we need. <laughs> yeah, and if you think everyone else has outside smarter than us, you know what's coming up? Puppy picks. That's right. Dogs are going to beat us next. <laughs> we're, we're going with San Antonio Pets Alive. 
Uh, we're going to have uh, some dogs in the studio. They're going to pick some bowl games for us, and uh, hopefully they don't do better than us because I really don't want to be, be beat by a chihuahua. Can you explain the logistics of this? Do we know how this is going to work? I, I'm very confused. I think our producer, Luis, is going to have to help me out on that. How are we, how are we getting the, bo- the, the, the puppies in the studio, and how are they going to bring them in? So we're going to have uh, San, San Antonio Pets Alive down in the lobby downstairs. Mm-hmm. We're going to set up a little area for them, and uh, we haven't decided if they're going to pick like their favorite – kibble or like maybe a treat but on the treats we're going to have uh different um like the logos of the teams pick, yeah, the logo yeah the logos yeah. of the school okay. right yeah, like the, the, yeah then the dog's going to pick their favorite school or slash right. treat and they're and, the, and we, we might be in trouble I've the, seen the win percentage might be just as good as you. I, I think I th- there's it, that one octopus does, that always picks the Super Bowl. That's right. right. So the octo- like, how many times has the octopus? I think he's missed one time in like 20, 30 years. Nightmare. The octopus is smarter. <laughs> yeah. Well, we knew the octopus. Well, octo- smart, I don't trust right? octopus. Well, wait, well, this is true. Octopuses. I'm watching a show called Resident Alien. Oh, they're There's, aliens for sure. And, yeah, that, and yeah. they think octopuses are aliens. That's like half the premise of the show. That they're all smarter than us. It's very, it's, it's a great show, by the way. I'll plug, <laughs> I'll plug that brain. show. They're all brain. That's brain right. Brain percentage. Brain, through the brain percentage. Wow. It's uh, advanced analytics. <laughs> I think we have to talk about the conference championship game, but I don't know how to get there from Aquas well, brains. Yeah, we're all over the place. But UTSA won back-to-back conference USA championships. They beat North Texas 48-27, to and it was interesting because it was a rivalry game, and they made a huge effort all week to talk about how many people they could bring to the Alamo Dome, and they ended up getting 41-412. I have the number right in front of me. I didn't just recall it off the spot, but it was a, a few hundred better than last year, which was impressive because leading up to the game, it felt like there wasn't the same kind of drive or energy for being there the first time. And when it all came down to it, there was enough walk-up crowd that they created a really strong environment and it was enough to help UTSA. But bigger than that was Frank Harris. And we've already talked about him a decent amount, but one of the games of his life, he went 31 of 37 with four touchdowns and threw for 341 yards. And I think he ran for a score or two. He was all over the place. So Frank, this show is all about you. And, and just, just an incredible, yeah, we're going to start and end with Frank Harris. That's why it makes sense. It all came together. So we're, UTSA is very fortunate that he's going to be able to come back for another year. I think that makes a huge difference as they jump to the new conference, and we saw that in this game. And then I should also mention Kavorian Barnes. With all the injuries they had at running back, Conference USA freshman of the year, Kavorian Barnes carried the ball 28 times for 175 yards and a touchdown. So that made a huge difference in that game as well. And they just had enough juice to be able to beat North Texas pretty convincingly. It was close even late late in the game, maybe about early fourth quarter. It was within seven, but UTSA felt like they were in control most of the way, and in the end it was not all that tight. So... Very rare for them to not play a game that comes down to the wire, especially in a big spot like that. But yeah, they, they even did that with UTEP. And that, yeah. Every, almost every every game was a heart attack. And it, they really have, it feels like, been playing better and better later in the year, that UTEP game aside. They, they had some easy matchups in there, but they picked up a couple blowouts, won the conference championship game pretty convincingly, and even that second half against UTEP to be able to make the largest comeback that the program's ever had from being 24 points down. It was a, it's a pretty impressive run that they were on to end the year, and we'll see if it carries over to the bowl game or not. Yeah, they should have thrown some octopuses on the field after they won. <laughs> the Detroit Red Wings do that. They can do it. They do do I, that. I, they do do that. Yeah. They throw them onto the ice, right? They, they say there's it. not enough traditions and different things in the Alamo Bowl, and I, th- and I think you might have just figured it out. Maybe they should just release like Octo- a flock of road roadrunners or something a like flo- that. A flock of roadrunners? I don't even I think, know what it would be. So <laughs> it's funny enough that I just, I just did a story on – attendance and all the different things that go into the Alamo Alamo Dome and trying to get fans there. And I do believe in the lease agreement between 
UTSA and the Alamo Dome, there's like a no live animals clause. Oh. I believe I'll have to I'll have to triple check that. I knew it wasn't going to be relevant for the story, <laughs> but I believe that that says that in there. So for all of you who want the Roadrunner me included, then I don't, well, think, that's you can, I don't think you can have it. That's lame. We can always they make an to, amendment. Though. I was going to say they need to, need to amend that deal. <laughs> they they do need to amend that deal. They can't do puppy pics on the field either. That's yeah, true. And that's going to be adorable. Yeah, really. be the just, best halftime entertainment Tune into expressnews.com to see how adorable that is. It's going to be adorable. <laughs> Puppies are adorable. As long as you don't have to potty train them. Well, well that's, that's, I mean, that's, we're bringing in the people for that, too. It's all going to be under control. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful it's day. Be it's going to be a beautiful day. <laughs> and it was a beautiful day today. And I appreciate Nick Moyle and Greg Luca joining us once again. I appreciate our sponsors, Before Bull Debt Consolidation. Thanks for joining us. And we'll catch you on the flip side.